This episode was recorded via correspondence and may have some sound quality discrepancies. We hope you enjoy the content and look forward to bringing you more. Hello and welcome to our listeners to episode five of Brain to Bar. My name is Sophia and I'm your host. Our next guest is a rising star in the fitness realm as a bodybuilding athlete and soon-to-be powerlifting competitor. Welcome to the podcast, Corinne Wooden. I am extremely excited to bring our chat to the podcasting universe as Corinne lets us into her life and shares her experiences managing her mental health in times of existential crises and personal events and how she manages her own self-talk and self-care practices based on these experiences. So grab your tea or coffee, sit back and relax because Corinne is about to take you on an adventure into the depths of her mind. And welcome to the podcast, Corinne Wooden. Yay! Thanks for joining us today on Brain to Bar. I wish I had an applause button, but I might edit this in post later. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Thank you for you know letting me come on. This is, this is definitely probably the most exciting thing I've ever done recently. I'm very keen for this. A little bit nervous because I've never done a podcast. No surprise. But yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm so excited that I'm your first. <laughs> you're, you're, you're popping my podcast cherry. Yay. Okay, maybe <laughs> a little like cherry emoji in the description. Just like, um, a nice memento, a signifier that, yep, this was a, this was a nice one. Alrighty. So let's get right into it. Now, you are an athlete. Well, at least in my eyes, you are an athlete. Thank you. you are, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, you are making waves on social media with all of your uh, captions, your posts on various topics and concepts which are trending in the industry, but you're, you know, smashing through some myths and trying to bring some raw and realness to social media fitness and training. In the midst of this, I know you have been well into a comp prep. And yes, <laughs> how long, how long have you been prepping up until now? I started prep, uh, the last week of December and it was an, it was meant to be an 18 week prep, but for very obvious reasons, that wasn't the case. Someone decided to eat a bat and now myself and many other aspiring competitors aren't able to do what they wanted to do. Uh, so my prep officially finished maybe four or five weeks ago. And I've been, ah, well, okay. Four weeks ago. I've been reverse dieting for four weeks now. Yeah. I know a lot of people would be in the exact same boat and we're prepping over this. And then obviously COVID-19 happened. And aside from the general psychological impacts of quarantine and isolation, there was or there would be some sort of psychological, you know, mismatch when you've been prepping for so long and then all of a sudden it's cancelled almost at the end. Can you tell us a little bit about your experiences dealing with, like we're dealing mentally with COVID-19 has just stopped your comp prep. What do you do? It's pretty surreal. Like having something that is very foreign to literally all of us. And then you basically, I remember I was in the gym, I was training. It was a normal day for me. Look down at my phone. Oh, comps canceled. That's interesting. It was such a bizarre feeling because 
I was still training. Everything was as per normal. I hadn't spoken to my coaches yet. There was this real, I'm in limbo kind of situation going on. And I immediately reached out to some of my friends who are competing the same show. And I noticed a huge difference in their mental perspective compared to my own. And I think that's in part because I had my dad for probably six weeks before just barking in my ear about how my comp is not going to go ahead. And because I had that sort of level-headed approach to the situation, I feel like I was more accepting of what had happened as opposed to a lot of other competitors as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important that you had that third-party perspective, even if that was just in the back of your mind, because it's not like it's going to come out of nowhere. Was there at any point during this kind of, you mentioned a limbo, you've just lost your end goal that is the usually the person's why. It's the reason mm. why they've changed their entire lifestyle or adapted their lifestyle. You've been going to the gym and training like a workhorse for your entire thing, you're, you're restricting your nutrition to achieve this and it's gone. Did you have any kind of personal moments where you had to sit down and tell us how you felt and how you dealt with the emotions that came up? I definitely cried a couple of times. I broke down and I was like, where am I going from here? Even though I had such a, I had such a grounding post-comp phase, like I knew where I was going after comp. But because the rug was just swept out from under my feet so rapidly and so unexpectedly, I did just have those moments where I thought, what am I doing with my life? How important is this to me? What does this mean now? Am I going to compete in June or July or October? Or what am I doing? It was such a, I, I couldn't even put words to the feeling. And I still don't think that I can because in, to some capacity, it still feels weird and it doesn't feel real I almost keep thinking that the that the COVID-19 crisis is just going to go away and we'll all get back to the way we were before but the more that this continues it, it seems very apparent that it's going to persist for a really long time and I've got friends in powerlifting as well who've their competitions have been completely scrapped and it's the thing that makes me feel better about the whole situation is that we are all in the same boat. It doesn't matter what you were aiming for, what goals you had, if it was powerlifting, bodybuilding, whatever it may be, our goals have all been stripped away from us. So we're coming, we're in this new phase where we're having to um, find a new lease on life. And I think a lot of people are really struggling with that at the moment with where to go. That is a great point you have brought up that a lot of people have had, you know, whether it's a short-term goal, medium-term, long-term, that we've had a loss. And what I'd like to know is you've mentioned how, you know, your reactions, you allowed yourself to feel these emotions, which I think is probably one of the most daunting steps, but one of the most important steps to managing kind of mental health and anxiety over something that you can't control. What, what kind of headspace are you at right now? Right now, I feel amazing, actually. It's so, it's so strange. I didn't think I would feel this way about isolation. And even though my post-comp plan is also scrapped because I can't powerlift, 
I still feel really content with where I'm at right now, not just because we're all in the same position, but because I'm comfortable with what I've been given. I know that this is out of my control. I know that I can't change anything that's going on, but I can do my best to find positive elements through each day that can bring joy to my life. Like I am very happy with the fact that I still get to train. I feel privileged that I have equipment to allow me to train because that's such an important part of my mental health process. I'm so glad that I still get to see my partner, which was up in the air for a while because Victoria wanted to stop that from happening. (laughs) Um, I'm grateful that I get to live with my family and I still get to see my family every day. So I don't feel so alone, but I know that there are a lot of people who are self-isolating and in quarantine by themselves. And I can imagine that would be quite a daunting experience. So I feel lucky and grateful to not have to be completely physically alone, even if they don't feel necessarily mentally alone. Great. So would it be fair to say that having that kind of external support system helped you transition from hearing that your comp's done and your goals are cancelled to being amazing now? Yeah, it's, I'm a huge on having the right support system around you. You have to have, if, if you're not, if you're not in a situation where the people around you are serving you and are not, you know, serving your purpose, don't surround yourself with that kind of negative energy. And I'm so grateful that I have really beautiful a really beautiful circle of people around me, my family, my partner, my friends that I still get to talk to and, you know, write letters to, which is a really great avenue for, yeah. That's so cool. (laughs) I think it's such a a great idea right now. I was watching um, another friend of mine send letters to her friend who she couldn't see. And I'm like, I'm going to jump on that. That is such a great way to, you know, just have a different avenue to explore and communicate with people. I think that's, a really nice pastime to have right now, but it's also just being in isolation. It's not the end of the world because you get to explore facets of yourself that you might've otherwise shut off. You get to find new hobbies. You get to, you know, source a new lease on life, you know, for anyone who competes or for anyone who is really invested in the gym, this is the time to find something else. Because the gym shouldn't be your life. It shouldn't be the only thing that brings you joy. And even if that is such a huge part of your mental process, which it is for me, there are still ways to train and to find enjoyment, even if that isn't, you know, lifting 100 kilos in a squat or more, you know. <laughs> I miss that, but still. <laughs> That's, yeah, really good point. It is, it is an opportunity to explore other ways and... Um, I've definitely done that. I've like immersed myself in my karate. It's because we've been doing virtual classes. So there's like no use. That's awesome. And I'm like, okay, I'll do some cardio kickboxing. Sure. I'll help demonstrate in a class. And that might apparently, my sensei says my technique's gotten like 10 times better just by helping out. So, yeah. Look at you. (laughs) That's awesome. But yeah, no, absolutely. Opportunity. Aside from your support system, were there any specific ways that you yourself approached the situation in terms of changing your mindset and perspective? Did you apply any strategies going from that moment you found out that comp was done to now 
help us fill in the gaps with how you yourself managed your own thoughts and behaviors. I think one of the biggest things for me was having a solid routine. Like I, I have to, I'm that type A personality. I need to have a routine to make me feel sane. So even though things were changing really rapidly and initially I felt quite overwhelmed and as if I was kind of stuck underwater because also I've had, I've, I've not entirely lost my job, but I'm not able to work at the moment because I worked in the gym. So that was, everything was happening and spiraling out of control. And I'm like, what's going to give me that sense of control? Routine. It's something that I can, I have personal control over every single day. I can wake up at the same time. I can eat my meals at the same time. I can do what I want within reason at certain times every day. And that just brings me that small element of control that none of us really had in the beginning of the isolation lockdown period. And I think just being able to have some agency over what you can do in your life is super important, especially now. I love that you mentioned that you took control of what you could and kind of let go of what you couldn't. Yeah. That is a huge, we've noticed is a, is it, a huge common denominator in a lot of people's anxiety and emotional kind of like a tumultuous, crazy kind of behavior is that they've lost control over things that they usually have control over. And the hard, the hard part about it is then trying to shift that perspective and accept that we have no control over this situation, but what do we have control over? It's funny because during comp prep, I actually found that a really ch- one of the most challenging parts of comp prep for me was letting go because I, I didn't have control over my training. I didn't have control over what I was eating necessarily. I didn't have control over, you know, some of the posing elements. There was so much to comp that I had to just let go and let someone else do. So I feel like since that was such a challenge for me leading into comp, then having this other element sort of just barge in and be like, sorry, I'm taking more control away from you. I was like, okay, I'm already semi-prepared for this. I'm going to be okay. Wow. That's, I just had this beautiful image of, of what it could have looked like, like visualizations. <laughs> um, you mentioned that you as a behavior type struggle to relinquish control over elements of your life. If we go back to pre-COVID and we talk about the fact that when you got a coach and you had to relinquish control over your training and nutrition, how was that experience for you in general? Like, how difficult was it? Did you have to kind of battle internal demons? What was coming up when you actually had to give your trust to someone else? When I first signed up with my coaches, which was last year in July, I initially felt very agitated by the idea of having to let go of someone else to do my programming because up until then I was the only person who touched my training. I was the only person who meddled even a little bit with my nutrition, but because I had the goal of wanting to compete, I thought to myself, well, I have to go through this process. I have to learn to let go a little bit regardless of how that may make me feel. And initially it was incredibly challenging because I want to have control over everything all of the time. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, but I, I like having that 
you know, I want to have my hand on it and be able to control that and be like, okay, if this is my fault, then it's my fault. If something goes wrong, it's my doing and not having that ability to, to control every element of my life, which is what I find most comfortable was very strange. But at the same time, it was a, such a great learning experience because as each training block, you know, went on, I, w- I got to experience different styles of training, different ways of putting things together. And I thought this is actually a really great opportunity for me to learn from these really amazing coaches, these really amazing people in the fitness industry, and then have the opportunity later on to apply that myself in my own time. Great. So you flipped it on its head. Yeah. So instead of it as a hindrance you're like okay wait a minute these people have a complete may have a different approach you might be able to learn something from it and then take the stuff that you like from it and then evolve your own style that's a great now definitely a great approach and it's especially in this climate is much harder to do because of the baggage that we're carrying right now Um, so we've looked at a little bit of your mental mechanics so you're a self-confessed controlling person. <laughs> yep. I am a control freak in every sense of the word. Love it. And you own it, which is, I think it's a really important element to understand that be, wanting to be in control is not necessarily a vice, which a lot of people kind of go, oh, no, it's, it's a behaviour that is developed through nurture, through environment, through personality, through experience, and everyone's got their own kind of default comfort. I'm a little bit like that myself. I call it uh, work trust issues. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a more pleasant way to put it, isn't it? <laughs> I like euphemisms. But I, like, my, I always grew up with, you know, if you want it done well, you do it yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely relate to that. Yeah. So, but that's just how I've grown up and it's neither good nor bad. It's got advantages and it's got disadvantages. And I think you've done really well in identifying the areas of weakness that could be attributed to this particular behavior, but learnt how to make it more constructive to you. So you're picking your, you're picking your battles in terms of what habits to change, which is awesome. If it's, you don't have to change it, you don't have to change it. You just adapt. Mm-hmm. I think you, you've exemplified what it is to adapt with that example, which is amazing. So kudos to you, Corinne. I love that. Oh, thank, thank you. We've got to celebrate our wins and being who we are, like 100%. We do, absolutely. Especially right now. I'm going to take every little win <laughs> as it comes. <laughs> us self-confessed weirdos. There's only That's a few right. of us in the world. In day- <laughs> All right. So in terms of of those strategies and coping uh, strategies that you have implemented across your more recent life, how has that affected your mental health? Because it's very hard to shift perspective because we've got a lot of emotions that are connected to activities. Like you said, training, it makes you feel certain things. Losing your training space may make you feel certain things. How has your mental health adapted or evolved throughout this entire process from comp prep to now? Um, Where I think a lot of people really like to engage in different wellness practices like meditation and journaling, grounding, etc. For me, I don't personally see the correlation between wellness and actually fostering positive mental health. Like for me, it's that that's more of a passive and very temporary band-aid solution, which is 
fine for some people, but I don't really subscribe to using self-care tools for anything other than bettering my self-care. So for me, I've seen a psychologist on and off for the past six years. And one of the, the most important and influential things for me when looking to improve my mental health is being able to talk and vent very openly and out loud to someone who has absolutely no personal affiliation with me whatsoever, because then they can apply that objective eye that I really need. Because if I try to do that with myself, I will just get stuck in my own head. And then that, that type A perfectionist, perfectionistic personality will come out again where I'm self-critical to the point that it's very um, de- uh, degrading. And I need that someone else who doesn't know me to tell me, this is why you're feeling this way. This is what we can do to mitigate that, that feeling. And then we, then we you know, follow the process from there. So for me, therapy and you know, constructive self-talk is super important for for my mental health that's so like i resonate with that a lot because i also i also see a psychologist for the exact same reason and you can talk to yourself as much as you want but you're not going to pick your own habits up in your self-talk because i don't know about your therapist but mine always goes so if i'm just going to pause there is this a little bit of the perfectionist coming out or is this a little bit of the Sophia that, you know, goes on a tangent to avoid this, <laughs> this topic? Even if you, even if you know that that's your behavior, it's so, it's so much easier when someone else can pick that out for you. It just feels, I don't even know what the word is. It's just, it's a nicer and more um, placid approach. It's you're not having to degrade yourself in the process. It's someone else just being a positively critical about you. And then you can actually figure out how to resolve that and adapt that behavior in a more positive way. Absolutely. And you would probably know that, you know, being self-critical and trying to observe yourself from an objective perspective is actually quite uh, fatiguing. It's tiring. And having that third party objectively pick it up is almost like, helping us solve the problem without us having to put in too much effort to finding it. And, Mm. you know, when you're grasping at your own limitations, it's, it's tiring in that, you know, it's you and you have to do all this work to overcome it. And it becomes this overwhelming, you know, stream of feelings that you probably can't put into words because there's too much going on. So you put it into a bottle and then it just builds later and that's the weight that you carry. That's why we're so jacked up, right? We carry a lot of baggage. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great analogy. We've all secretly got problems in quotation marks. <laughs> I'm so jacked all the time. Uh, <laughs> but that is amazing. So at what point did you realise that a third party would be probably the best way to manage yourself and your self-talk was there a point in your life where you've tried xyz and it didn't quite resonate and then you went how about this like what was your what was that experience for you i mean because i've been seeing a psychologist for such a long time it 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 didn't initially start from the perspective of i need someone to talk to it was originally originally started because i couldn't get on a plane Um, but then it my best friend unfortunately in high school he committed suicide And I spiraled down a rabbit hole myself and really needed that external help because I thought 
and I was quite convinced that I wouldn't make it to the next year. So having that someone to talk to has been such a poignant present presence in my life for such a long time that it's almost like I can't even remember what it felt like not to be able to have that opportunity to go and see someone, to go and have that outside perspective. Because when you're, you know, stuck in your own head most of the time, which I feel like I still am, um, it's quite hard to get out. So you need that external support system to sort of pick at you so you don't have to pick at yourself. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's a really lovely kind of transition where it wasn't a great stimulus that brought you into the clinic, but from there evolved something that really brought meaning and brought something to your life in the future. Like I'm getting teary just thinking about that. (laughs) That's really, that's really, yeah. Now, whenever I, whenever I do talk about that part of my past, I think people are quite shocked because I'm quite positive a lot of the time. And I really try to, you know, maintain that positive energy, but there are still moments where I sink back into that very depressive mindset and it's almost really hard to pull myself out and I know I can't do it myself. So I need that support system around me. And it's great that I have that in terms of my family and my friends and my partner, but it's, they just don't talk to you the same way that a therapist or someone who is just really trained to listen. Yeah. I'm in 100% agreeance with you there. So what would you say to someone who's like, you know, stigmatizes people as who see psychologists as you must have something wrong with you, which is why you're seeing a psychologist. What would you say to people who have that kind of idea? <laughs> Stay in your own lane and mind your own bloody business <laughs> because it's, oh, it's so irritating because just because you want to go and see someone to talk, doesn't mean there's anything necessarily wrong with you or your brain or your attitude to life. It's incredibly cathartic to be able to go and voice your opinions and your thoughts and your feelings without the stigma attached to it through social media or through, I don't know, maybe you have not the best support system through your family. Sometimes you need to go and have that just relinquish, you need to relinquish your emotions in that really cathartic way to be able to get over anything you're, you're feeling at that time. Just, I just don't get it. Like where does this attitude towards if you're seeing a psychologist, you've got a problem come from like, what is it? We're in 2020. Come on. Oh, absolutely. I'm still fighting my, my uh, parents on my parents come from very old school, traditional belief where, you know, you never, that generation never spoke about mental health, especially the cultures my parents come from. You don't talk about issues because your appearance and the honour of your family is the most important thing and nothing's wrong. And I was the outlier that went, screw this. I need to talk to someone that's going to listen to me. So for people that, you know, might be open to seeing a therapist or seeing some a third objective party, at what point do you think is the time that they should go? Because I know that there are some people who are like, oh, I don't know if I need to talk or do I want to invest this much money when I don't know if I need it? How, how should someone approach this? The annoying thing about 
psychologist is that it does take a long time to find the person that fits well with you. I've seen maybe four to five different psychologists across my time because it's, it's, you need to find the person with a personality that suits you. It's almost like a weird sort of friendship exchange. Um, <laughs> but it's better to go and seek that help before you're stuck in that really negative rut. Like if, if you're at the point where you're sort of, you know, clamoring out of the edge like of, of a cliff face, if you're just hanging off the edge of a cliff with your emotions and you're like, someone help me, it's better to catch that before you get to that position than when you're in, you're in it. Um, I remember one instance where I was in the gym as I was not right now, but anyway, um, <laughs> um, and I, I, I know I, I get, I usually get quite a lot of panic attacks when I'm in a really anxious uh, state of mind. And I know that if I had been to see a psychologist, maybe just a week before I would catch those feelings in advance rather than it be too late. And I'm hyperventilating in a bathroom. Like I don't want to get to that position where even training in a very safe space becomes traumatic for me. So you don't want to end up in a position where, where everything that you could do that is usually enjoyable becomes that sort of negative. That's chore. a really interesting concept that you bring up in that, although you may be in a safe space, like, you know, your gym might be a safe space that you still experience symptoms of panic. And do you know, is it something like, is the trigger identifiable? Are you bringing something from outside into your safe space that's manifesting or could a safe space still trigger um, anxiety? What are your thoughts on that? I think it's safe spaces where you feel most comfortable, right? So being able to express your feelings and honor those feelings and occasionally react to those feelings seems quite appropriate in a safe space. Like I have one specific gym where I usually get my panic attacks and I will never experience those same feelings anywhere else because the environment is more foreign to me. So I will usually get my panic attacks only at this one place where I train because it's my home gym. It's where I feel most comfortable. And it's also where I, I feel like I can honor my emotions if I'm feeling them on that day. For me, I don't get that shame attached to, oh, I'm crying mid-set. I'm happy to do that because I feel comfortable and safe there. So, you know, having those anxious feelings in a safe space isn't necessarily a negative thing. It just means that you feel comfortable enough to honor your feelings in that environment. I think anyway, that's a beautiful mentality. I love honor your emotions in that space. Come to think of it. All of my panic attacks have been in a place that I have felt the most safe, like bedrooms, you know, bathrooms in your house. I don't think I've ever had yeah. an attack in a foreign space. No, I haven't either. I've never been, it's never been like on a street in a random place I'm not familiar with. It's never, it's never in those places for me. And maybe it is for some people, but I think in, in those instances, your anxiety is attached to something yeah. else. So maybe that's the case why you would experience those panic attacks in foreign spaces. But I think it's just easier to be able to handle and accept your emotions in comfortable and familiar environments. Now that's, that sounds, that's absolutely logical, especially because we know, you know, being, uh, trainers and you know training a lot and understanding our bodies is our, our bodies will tend to tell us more than what we are aware of and the fact that your body can 
hold in reactions until it gets to a space where you subconsciously feel more free to express those emotions and like you said honor your emotions i think is a beautiful thing there are so many questions brewing in my head uh now but i do have to filter them through because i don't have five hours to chat today <laughs> not like the last ended up two hours of just supernatural talk so let's not go there today i made a promise to myself that i behave so let, let's go back to your form of self-care, which includes, you know, talking it out. And that's where you honour yourself, you honour how you feel, you appreciate yourself in that moment. What is your definition of self-care? Mm, that's a good question. I think for me, self-care is, like you also said learning how to honor my body because when I was growing up, I didn't have the healthiest relationship with my body. And I think since that high school adolescent period, I have since learned that I really need to take the time to look at myself in a really positive way and learn how to appreciate myself for what my body can do and also for what I for who I am, irrespective of what I look like in the mirror on any given day, because I think a lot of my um, anxious feelings do stem from the relationship I used to have with myself not being the healthiest. Um, and now I'm such an advocate for being able to, you know, look at yourself in the mirror and actually love what you see, irrespective of any, you know ideal that's perpetuated by society at the time like it doesn't matter how thin you are or how chunky you are how thick you are or how shapely whatever shape you are it doesn't matter but being able to look at yourself and be like i love myself who i am today that's a huge part of self-care for that's me that's really really lovely and it's a lovely holistic approach do you find that there are days where your behavior and perspective relapses into old behaviors and old thinking patterns? Um, for the most part, I, I'm going to say no, just because when I commit to something or when I'm, I'm, I'm still human, so I have my moments. But for the most part, no, just because I'm really in tune with my process and I'm really... I guess, stuck in my way, so to speak, because it, when I commit to something, whether it's a goal or a, a mindset or an attitude, I commit wholeheartedly and I apply that same attitude to every facet of my life, which isn't necessarily the healthiest attitude, but it's the most comfortable in that, in, in that sense. Um, when I do have moments where I relapse into negative behaviors, I'm very good at catching myself. So I'm quite self-aware with that. For example, um, during prep, I had an instance where I was feeling a bit sick. I was a bit bloated. I probably had too much of a high volume meal. And my first thought was, I'll take a laxative because I feel a bit sick. And I, for a really long time during my adolescence, I took laxatives every day because I thought it would make me thinner and I wanted to adhere to this 
ideal of feminine thinness. And still sometimes that pops back in my head. But whenever it does, I'm like, wait a minute, what are you thinking? What are you, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Why would you want to go back there? So I'm really self-aware about how I think. And I think that's such an important thing. You have to be able to catch yourself when you're having those negative moments that aren't characteristic of who you are now, but are reflecting a former self. And it's just like a light switch. You're like, hey, come back to the present. You don't need to behave or think that way. Do you do anything in those moments to bring you back? Or is it just now as easy as going, boy, I've just caught you. I'll bounce you back into the other direction. Or do you have like, you know, I know some people use strategies where they kind of just sit down and they try and bring themselves into the present by, you know, identifying things in the room and they need that process. What do you do? Just catch and throw back or? Where I'm at now, it's quite easy, but it usually it's also sitting down, having a moment alone with my own brain so that I can talk to myself and have a little bit of a positive chat with my own mental state and be like, do I really want to go down that route right now? And sometimes it sounds like I'm literally having a conversation with myself out loud. Um, but that's also constructive. doesn't matter if you sound like a weirdo talking to yourself, but <laughs> yeah, so it, at, at the moment it's gotten to a place or to a point where I can just, you know, switch it off. But in the lead up to that, it's sitting down, being alone, being able to ground myself in the present and just really think about why would I want to do that? What's triggering me at this point? And, you know, find that ident- identifying factor to be able to rid that I negative like that. emotion. Sitting, it's like you're sitting yourself down. Okay. All right, Corinne, we need to talk. Yeah, pretty time much. Out time. <laughs> time out. You've just done a naughty thing. Now, what did you do? I actually, it's funny that you say you sit down and talk to yourself because I literally do. I'm an only child and I call it only child syndrome. I'm an only child as well. So that. You know, I find I that people, like, yeah. only children tend to be a lot more comfortable being with themselves. And I find that um, an, approach, an approach that works for me is actually something my therapist helped me characterise in that we identified that those former, your former self that you mentioned usually stays with you because of some sort of trauma. It could be a really poignant experience that changed your brain kind of rewired your brain in some way and it stayed with you because it's had some sort of emotional impact that you may not even be consciously aware of and my former self is actually a child version of me I was about seven years old and we call her little Sophia so I've actually given her a character a voice Um, I've given her my face when I was seven years old and I see her as that seven-year-old and my therapist actually said now Sophia I can hear when you talk, there is an adult version who's experienced life, who has changed perspectives and who is completely different from little Sophia here. And one of my tactics that I personally use when I catch myself exhibiting former destructive behaviours, I'll actually, depending on the severity, if it's a little thing, I can catch and throw back. But if it's something that makes me feel a certain way, I'll sit down as adult Sophia And I'll sit down with little Sophia and go, all right, little Sophia, talk to me. What's wrong? Because I know that it's coming from somewhere else. She's angry. She's irate because of something. And I'll let myself kind of explore. It's like multiple multiple personalities. I don't know. But no, it's, it's it's a part of my brain that is stuck in that former self. And it's about 
your present version giving what your former version didn't have but needed. Yeah. And it's almost like you are now parenting yourself if it's a younger version of yourself, which usually is. So how would you want to have been parented in that stage, you know? And sometimes just asking those questions, you might find yourself answering them in ways you never realised, you know? Little Sophia, what do you need right now? So I love, there are different, I love how you've adapted your methods to your natural behaviour because it's going to be more organic, it's going to be easier for you. It's quite strange how even though I'm like so young, like I'm only 21, but I feel like I've had, it sounds weird to say, but I feel like I've had so many formative experiences growing up, which most of which have actually been quite traumatic. But at the same time, it's like, I, I feel like I have so much to talk about not necessarily share in terms of wisdom because I'm not there yet I've got my wisdom teeth but I'm not like wise yet um (laughs) but there's just everyone has such a unique story I think that's what I just I wish more people would sit down and talk with themselves because I feel like you'd you'd also learn so much about yourself just by having a a casual conversation with your inner self I I wish that too then we wouldn't appear so weird right (laughs) I'm that. I mean, are you the person who goes for walks and like I will literally be talking in my head, but I'll, my mouth will be moving, and I'm not even on a phone, and people will just be like, "What? What? What's wrong with her? Yeah, your phone's <laughs> not. She's just talking. I'm just talking. Yeah. If you had one piece of advice for our listeners to bring their brains to the bar and rise to the occasion, whether it's you know, uh, mental health, whether it's trying to change a perspective or even if it's just how to push through an adverse situation, how would you bring your brain to the bar and rise to the occasion? What's your view? I feel like you could apply this point to a lot of different situations, but I feel like one of the most important things for people to learn how to do is actually just to concentrate like to learn how to, to concentrate on being present, to concentrate on yourself and where your mind is at, to concentrate on fostering those positive relationships, those important relationships with people around you, and to concentrate on what, actually, to concentrate on turning, being able to turn your mind off in situations where you don't need to be super active or super um, alert all the time. When, you, when, you, when you're able to sit and just concentrate, on, on something, regardless of what that may be, I think you're able to just, you know, come to a, a happy mindset. And I, when I apply that principle to training, like, you know, you, 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 you concentrate on being able to lift that, te- lift that um, weight with good technique. You concentrate on being able to be present in your sessions so that you don't hurt yourself. And you don't want to be able to, um, carry that same temper that you apply to a, like a really heavy squat and then take that temper with you when you're going off to get a drink. Like you want to be able to concentrate on switch on switching between those two mentalities. And when you turn your mind on, so to speak, to concentrate in those situations and have the right mindset while training, that might just actually be the reason you don't injure yourself. And you could apply that mentality to so many other things in life as well. You want to be able to concentrate on the situation so you don't end up in a bad situation. I love it. I love it. 
Yes, and I you tried. succeeded. <laughs> Thank you Thank so you. much, Corinne, for sitting down with us and really sharing such sensitive topics and experiences because I know that there are a lot of people out there who do feel alone, even though there's this you know, universal understanding that we're all experiencing these uh, uncontrollable external things. But at the end of the day, we don't really convince ourselves that other people are feeling it until we hear it. And I just want to thank you so much for really expressing the true difficulties that you may be facing due to yourself, due to COVID, due to isolation, quarantine. And I hope that our listeners uh, at least feel comforted in the fact that they are not alone at all in these feelings. I've mentioned this in a previous podcast. This is a strange situation, so expect to react strangely. There's no normal. The main normal is to act weird in a weird situation. That's just cause and effect, isn't it? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I feel like there's so much you can actually say and talk about with regards to mental health and wellness and self-care. But of course, there's only so much you can say on a podcast. You've got a limited amount of time. But um, I, I hope that just by talking about it and by being open and honest and transparent about mental health in whatever capacity that may be that people do feel less alone because you're right people have a tendency to feel really wrapped up in their own feelings and that what they're feeling is really unique to them and that no one else could possibly be experiencing the same thing when in reality I think more people just need to talk about it more transparently and maybe that you know really pervasive feeling might hopefully someday go away. Thank you for being one of those people who is trying to make the change and being heard. So thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. I absolutely loved chatting to you today. Thank oh, you so, so much for having me anytime. on. Um, I will post um, the Instagram links to Corinne's Instagram. If you want to follow her, she is full of information and amazing insight into how it is to be a competitor. Um, and you did say that you are going to move on to powerlifting. I did say that I want to pursue that. Who knows when that will be? My partner is a very excellent uh, powerlifter himself and I know he can impart some great wisdom onto me. So fingers crossed I can pursue that avenue. But honestly, I have too many avenues of interest at this point. It's a That's little bit That's what happens ridiculous. in quarantine though. You start to get more ideas because your brain's just looking for things to do, right? I know you're looking for ways to occupy your time and you're like, I could do this. Oh wait, I could do this instead. I could do both. Oh my <laughs> That's gosh. amazing. Well, hopefully when all of this is done, I can join you for a powerlifting session. That would be big as. Yes. All right. Well, Absolutely. thank you very much. And thank you listeners for tuning in to this episode of brain to bar. Remember to follow us on Instagram at brain to bar.podcast to stay up to date with all information on all of our content and guests. But for now, stay safe, stay healthy and keep that smile on your dial.